welcome to Wait In. As we look back on the weekend just gone, we had classic trials, we had plenty of action across Sandown and indeed in Ireland, a four-timer for Aidan O'Brien starting the season off with a bang and hitting form just ahead of the first classic of the season, which is only one week away. We're going to answer all your listener questions and all the details and issues of the world of horse racing over the last week or so in the company of Mr... Kevin, selfie stick, Blake. How are you, Kev? Oh, Jesus Christ, I'm fine. You, I got utterly stitched up there. Stitched uh, up. Twenty stitched minutes, up. twenty minutes left, and on the the race and debate, I'd have met you in the air. She texts me, "Oh, I'm twenty minutes early," and I just took a picture of the thing and said, "I'm not coming out for fifteen minutes. Oh, I'm on the telly." <laughs> stitched up, right, good and proper. All of us thinking, Mr. Vane there taking photos. He just loves to look at himself, hanging them up on the wall yeah. over the bedroom. Get all excited. <laughs> anyway, um, Tony Calvin, um, Tony Calvin's going to try and tell us, Kevin Blake, that his tooth fell out again. But we all saw the scenes at Sandown where we know he was and he was getting involved in ruckuses and fights that he shouldn't have been and somebody finally knocked his tooth out. We know what happened, Tony Calvin. Yeah. <laughs> when I find out the geezer who blindsided me at the end of that video. I <laughs> <laughs> he got you good and proper. Good oh, and what a, proper. What a, look, he must have been about 70. If he's a, if he's, if he's a day. <laughs> around blindsiding people when they're being held that is the dirtiest piece of fighting I've ever seen in my life listen you you will be you will be uh, booked into the dentist chair and then back with us for racing only better which we're recording later on today we should mention we don't have Vanessa Royal today um, not because we decided to get rid of her because she's no good that was a factor but also it's her birthday and she's 54 years of age so Vanessa happy birthday you look fantastic for 54 have a fantastic day if you're listening uh, we do miss you you will be back with us uh, next week 54 fantastic well done. Right, okay, let's move on to the topics in hand, shall we? Let's review the racing of the weekend just gone. And we'll start at Westover, 25 for the Derby. And um, I thought this was uh, a reasonable performance, shall we say. I was listening to uh, Rob Hornby afterwards, Kevin, who said it took him kind of two or three furlongs to settle. He's a big old lanky horse. Um, he, he did it pretty nicely in the end. And it looks like York and a mile and a half is the trip. What do you think overall? Yeah, I think the front two are, are both interesting. Like, I, I think neither of them are the finished article by any means, and particularly the second, Cash. But uh, Westover, like, he probably would have won a shade more comfortably had he been a bit more straightforward um, late on. Like, he was green and he went out to his left and there he got nipped for his trouble. But look, it was a nice performance. He's by Frankel. He, he didn't really set the world alight last year, but like many of the Frankels do, he's clearly taken a big step up from two to three. And, then, and he's interesting. And then the runner-up is interesting, Cash. Like, he, like he'd only the one start last year, and Spencer clearly, uh, you know, wanted to educate him, um, felt that he might be a bit raw for the job, stepping up so, so much in class for a second start. He clearly was. You know, he dropped him right in. Turning in, it looked like he might spit it out and, and be well beaten. And then he just starts to run on, and, and he's just failed to get up. He took an age to get in the stalls now. I'd say he definitely has an idea or, or two, but he definitely has loads of talent. I, I wouldn't like Cash to go down the Derby route as such, um, just because he clearly is so raw. Um, he might be kind of a more, want to take more of a baby step with. But Westover, you wouldn't want to rule out the possibility now because uh, that, that was a great step in the right direction. Um, he, he's bred to go a mile and a half. And mm. yeah, there are two interesting prospects now, Hugh, for different reasons. Yeah, of the two, um, Tony, who would you be more inclined to take? It? I mean, the prices here, so 25s from 50 uh, Westover for the Derby, this is, and cash 20 to 1 from 50s. Of the two, who impressed you more? Probably the winner. Um, but, you know, I think it was might have been ITV saying, you know, it gave the, that race gave the Derby the shot in the arm that it needed. And 
pretty, I think they're pretty much an illustration of, of, of how low key the derby is so far. I mean, I had to look after the race. And it's the first time I've actually had to look at the betting, actually. But Luxembourg's in there. You've got the horse that was beaten, the Queen's horse that was beaten at Newbury as second favourite. It's a pretty underwhelming race so far. So even though I, I didn't think the race was particularly strong in classic terms, in terms of this year's derby, I wouldn't be I wouldn't be ruling out the winner or, or the second mm. goes down that route. I mean, you know, you, it's all in, all in context. It's, it, it could be a very very winnable derby this year. I mean, obviously Luxembourg's the clear favourite. Then you've got twelve to one plus uh, on the exchange. So, and I wouldn't be in a mad rush to say Luxembourg's going to get a mile four. So. It's a very open race this year. So, yeah, I wouldn't rule out the winner or the second if they go down that path. I'll be sticking with Luxembourg uh, for the 2,000 guineas. Uh, I know Native Trail is, is a hot favourite, but I, I just really like Luxembourg from last year. I'm sticking with him at the prize. We'll come back to Derby talk a little bit later on. But, TC, sticking with you here, Emily Upjohn, we yeah. had her down for the Oaks at 10 to 1 based on what she did at the weekend, uh, which was very impressive. Daughter of See the Stars. She's 4 to 1 for the Oaks. She took off, Tony, and they couldn't get near her. I thought this was seriously eye watering stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah, immediately after the race, she was a 10 to 1 poke. Then it was right. into what I was watching the, the betting unfold. Mm-hmm. 10 to 1 after the race in a few places, immediately backed into eight for the sports book. And it's been one way traffic ever since. And she's now four to one there. So she's over halved in price and, from immediately after the race. And, you know, you can see why she was very, very impressive. And she was also paying a seven pound penalty there. Now, I don't think it was the strongest novice. Uh, I don't think, for example, Ryan was particularly keen on on the fourth going into the race, but she was beaten pointless, you know, getting seven pounds. So I think you have to be, you have to be very, very impressed. But the problem is, like I said, the price has run away from everybody. I think part of that is the fact that the Tory comes out and say, you know, I rode in a piece of work. It was wow. And obviously highly complimentary. If you go back and have the stable had another winner over the weekend called Nashua, albeit it was over a mile uh, at Haydock. She was like, she was really impressive as well. And she's got a pedigree for a mile two minimum as well. So 16 I think, to one she is for the O's. So she's I'd, four I'd, times the price. The current prices, I'd be more inclined to go with uh, that Gosden filly than the Sandown winner. But you? Yeah, I mean, young that, go and have a look at that Haydock win. She was, she was mildly impressive. I'm not sure what she beat there. And I'm not sure what the time mm. considerations are either. But visually, it was very good. She's got really good pedigree. Um, she's guaranteed to stay mile two, mile four might be another matter, but yeah, from what I once 14s play 16s, take out the Dottori factor. I think Nashville is probably the uh, the, the better the, the better two at the current stages. Four, I was very impressed by the winner at Sandown. Yeah, I, I thought Emily Upjohn was really impressive, Kev. I have to say, I didn't see Nashua, I'll be honest, and um, so I can't compare the two. But Emily Upjohn, I can understand why there's been a, a bet from tens into fours. She just, I mean, she really took off and they didn't get near it. Yeah, she was impressive now. I look like like TC says, like the depth in behind her, you could question, but look when they went 10 lengths under a seven pound penalty. Um, you know, it does there doesn't have to be much in behind to make it a strong piece of form. And uh, like she's an interesting filly. She's a she's a three-part sister to um Harzand, um, Derby winner, obviously. Um, loads oh. of stamina there. She only cost 60 grand as um as a yearling, which is you know, it, it's a lot of money, but it's not a lot of money for a Cena Stars three-part sister to Harzan. Um, so the, maybe her own dam was looking a shade exposed. She'd had kind of four or five runners that uh, hadn't got to, you know, stakes level. So maybe the, the buyers were a bit put off by that. But uh, she certainly looks a bargain now. And uh, she's she's a very interesting filly. You, you'd like the way she did it. Um, she's bred for the job. And look, she'll be stepping into the unknown in class terms the next time we see her. But she looks to have plenty of ability. 
Yeah, Nashua now is, by the way, 10 to 1, um, Tony. So obviously people agree with you. So Nashua, 10 to 1 uh, from 40s for uh, the Oaks. Um, as regards the two-year-olds, then I mentioned Aiden O'Brien at a four-timer. So the Antarctic, Kiprios, Aesop's Fables. I mean, if people have been listening to Ryan Moore and you speak last week, Kevin Blake, they should have made an absolute bloody fortune this weekend. Unfortunately, I listened to some of it, but I wasn't really paying full attention this weekend <laughs> when, I was, had, had, when I had the radar switched on. And I was looking around at Mickey horses I shouldn't be going near of. And instead, <laughs> it was right there in front of us if you bothered to listen to it. What's, I mean, Aesop's Fables, first of all, as a two-year-old, Aiden O'Brien said, this, this fella settles lovely. He's got an old head and young shoulders. Very calm in the pre-parade ring. I was listening to Kevin O'Ryan speak and interview on, on, on racing TV as well and did it very nicely. Your thoughts on him as a two-year-old? Yeah, you, you'd really like him now. Um, look, there's kind of been a parade of no one ever is coming out of Ballydoyle and like that, that's not by accident because if, if you followed the career of no one ever, like he kind of started off there around the 20 grand sort of zone with, with the fee and he had a massive first season and obviously his fee has gone through the roof. But this, his current two-year-olds, are the first crop bred off a, off a hundred grand cover. So there's basically been a giant uplift in the quality of mayor he, he got, and okay. they're now two-year-olds. So, you know, I think Aiden might have had three, maybe no name evers to win already, and I suspect there'll be plenty more. And uh, this lad is a half to um, Washington, D.C., who was a very fast horse himself. Mm. And look, it was lovely because he was up against the horse at Gerald Lines's that, that I know was held in very high regard and that had run very well the first time out. Um, so it, it looked a tough enough ask, but geez, he, he, he was very good now for a horse that, you know, he wasn't hard on the bridle all the way. He was slightly behind it, but he was very powerful late on. Like he looked, uh, he did look a proper ask a two-year-old. So I suspect it'll be one more run onto something like the Coventry, I'd imagine. I wouldn't be surprised if he was the number one in the Coventry, even at this early stage, there'll be plenty more to come, I'm sure. But Well, the Antarctic uh, is eight, eight to one for the Coventry. Aces Fables is tens from 14. So I, I guess it's just how you read the form of those, those two going into it. Yeah, well, the Antarctic, I don't think, did as much first time out. Um, well, it might be small, but harsh. Donica had a, had a horse in there that had run well first time, um, run okay first time, maybe Wells stretching it a bit. Um, Wooday, I think he was called. And the Antarctic, I was slagging Ryan. Well, I wasn't slagging Ryan, but I was telling him not to be too upset if the Antarctic got beat because I, I'd be a particularly big fan of Dark Angel. And it, it tend, they, they, they tend to be small, but mentally slow um, early in their careers. And a bit like yourself. Back, very much like myself, but I, the problem with me is I never caught up. The Dark Angels tend to get there after a few starts. Um, when you look back through, like Dark Angels been around for a long time, you look back through them and generally, if one of them wins first time out, they're, they're a pretty smart horse. They, they tend to be snakes horses. And that, that was my worry with this fella. And in fairness, you watch back the race kind of through those goggles and you can see why. Like he was green, he did different things wrong. And it took him a while to get on top. He eventually got there and was on top of the line. But I suspect there'll be a lump of improvement to come from him. And knowing Aiden just the way that, as green as he was, I suspect Aiden would be mad keen to get at least one, if not two more runs into him before Ascot. Um, just because, like, Aiden wouldn't have a, a, a brilliant record with Ascot two-year-olds. Um, in more recent years, I think he's quite happy to, to bring them on a small bit slower. But when he has a real candidate, he likes to get plenty of runs into them, two or three at least. So, um, yeah, I'd be fascinated to see where it goes. Look, everyone will pay loads of attention to him. You, he's a full brother to Batash, huge pedigree, big price tag. Um, and so it was great to see him get off to a, a winning start. Spike mm, okay. Right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, Tony, on the two year olds, I mean, if you have to say it before we go on to Kiprios. 
No, not really. Two-year-old okay. not in my bag. Not really your bag. That's what I thought. Kiprios then, right? So, I mean, look, mm. um, interesting watching him beat his uh, sister um, search for a song um, at the weekend. Five to one again. Again, it was one of those one cross line. Christ, five to one. You, why don't you <laughs> listen to what the jockeys are bloody telling you before you go and put your money on stupid horses? But, he, you know, he, he, he won well, I thought. And, um, yeah. you know, I, I, I'll actually enjoy seeing him smash up my old pal Stradivarius in the bumper and Ascot there uh, in a couple of months' <laughs> time. Yeah, I mean, that... <laughs> There were caveats to that because obviously we don't know how tuned up the second was, and uh, we know we know the winner goes really well with the press. Is one first time up in twenty. Yeah, but search for a song. Search for a song doesn't hit form TC generally until like kind of August September. Anyway, well, I'll you know, tell you, but... someone fancied her because there was floods of money for her. Yeah, very very strong. Kiprios has obviously got the staying pedigree. Obviously beat his brother there. Um, Falcon. Falconates in the family, um, as his free eagle. So, you know, they, they fought a lot of it after one first about last season, blew out of the Lingfield Derby trial, got pulled out of all Ascot because it got upset in the stalls. If they found the key to the horse and the step up to a mile six and another year on his back, because that came from after uh, nearly a year off the track, I mean, that was really impressive. Go and watch the end of the race, and he's just like devouring the ground, isn't he? So, mm. yeah. Um, five to one, you but yeah, you'll be getting that next time, unless he's oh, in company. Absolutely, claw yeah. me eyes out. It was claw me eyes out. I'll tell you if, you if you only knew the full story, Hugh, and I probably shouldn't even say it, but we should have we should have said it on air. But we were talking to Ryan beforehand, you know, what horses, um, we'd like to talk about, etc. And he completely off his own back, offered Kiprias. He said, We better talk about Kiprias. Like, oh really? And there we go, yeah. Where were you, Kevin? As, as as they say, where were you on that one, dipshit? Like, I Jesus know, yeah. That, that, well, <laughs> they, well this, this is why I only do about three interviews a year, Hugh, I'm not very good at it. Yeah, <laughs> but, correct, correct. But he, nah, look, he, he, he was impressive, and, and I, I've liked him all along now. You look back to his two year old form, and like he, he was, he's a real stare, like he was running over nine and ten furlongs at two, and he was never on. On the bridle for a step, you know, and I remember I, I put him up in the in the Queen's Vase last year at Royal Ascot. I was having a bad week at the time, and then this and that. I think he scrambled under the stalls or did something absolutely stupid. I oh, got yeah. withdrawn, and I'm like, yeah, here's my week. <laughs> but, <laughs> when you're having a bad run, tipping a non-runner can be a blessing in disguise. <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah, yeah, very true. Minus one on the PL. Go. Yeah. yeah, but I think uh, he's one that he just he's he's for a long time he's just been crying out for his stamina to be drawn out to see the very best of him. So yeah. um, like I think it, with the staying division in Ireland, I think maybe being a mean average, maybe a best. I think he's one that could maybe lift his way up into the mix, um, up the top end. Okay, right, gents, let's move on, shall we? Some other stories of note this week. We want to talk about Inspiral, obviously. She's out of the 1,000 guineas, and everyone said, okay, fine, these things happen. That's fair enough, they do happen. But the manner in which her, her news was delivered over the last few days has... has has kind of raised a few eyebrows, shall we say, if that's being kind about it. And just want to read you some quotes over the course of the week as to how this story played out. So last Friday, and this story was up on the uh, the Wires with the Press Association, John and Tady Gosden's Philly, obviously. So Tady Gosden, this is a quote from Inspire is fine. She is where we want her to be at the moment. This is on Friday. She's like all these Frankles. She gives you everything every day and she gets herself there. She's filled out and muscled up over the winter. She's doing everything we've asked of her. She's been working nicely and it's all systems go for next week. She's taken a bit of time, but has developed nicely through the winter. It was always a plan to go straight to the guineas. She's been showing the right signs anyway, and we're hopeful she will do herself justice. That's Tady Gosden on Friday on the Newswires. Then we have Chris Richardson on an interview with Matt Chapman on ITV Racing on Saturday. And he said, and I quote, she's fine. Like all these things, 
Um, the, the winter hasn't been 100% straightforward, but she's in good form. We had one morning where she wasn't 100%, but she's been fine since then. We were hoping to get a race course gallop into her. We, wouldn't, we haven't been able to do that, but John is happy. And all being well, we've got a week to go to keep our fingers crossed that everything falls into place. Matt Chapman then says, but she's definitely on target, though. Chris says, as far as I'm concerned, she was never going to have a run before, and we've never wavered from that plan, and John's sticking with the plan, and we're all green for a go. Rob Havlin then, when he was interviewed by Matt Chapman, said she's been pleasing the boss and everybody around her. Tony Calvin, the news comes on Sunday. She's been withdrawn from the 1,000 guineas. What's your um, overall thoughts on the story? The timelines of events are, I think, the Richards interview. I think then the PA went and, and got a clarification quote. Uh, and then we had, you know, more rooms on Saturday and then pulled out on officially on the Sunday. Now, immediately after that Richardson interview, which is you just don't get that kind of openness and honesty. Um, and immediately after that interview, uh, after it went on online um, and on TV, I went and had a look at the market and the market was Inspire was 6.6 to back. This was on the back of the interview alone. And okay. nothing on the lay side. And when I mean nothing on the lay side, I mean nothing. And this is a classic that's 10 days away. So that, that Richardson interview was enormous in, in betting terms. It's about a classic, you know, not long to go there. Everyone should have been all over that story. Uh, yeah, TC, it wasn't even so much what he said. It was how he said it. Like, yes. It was a very negative tone and body language and if i was on inspire at 20 to 1 for a thousand guineas and i heard that interview i'd be like oh no, no I'll tell you this, what this doesn't sound good i'll tell you what you would have been kevin if you'd have gone to, if you're not 20 to 1 16 to 1 10 to 1 12 to 1 you'd be you're laid off lay that bit off and that's yeah. what the lights are there it's not there's nothing to do with inside information if you're on that horse at double figures you look at that interview and you don't want to you don't want to be anywhere near that horse like, like I said, fair play to Richardson uh, for the for the frankness. I think he, you know, he, he recoiled a little bit towards the end of it, and clearly the quotes from Fadie Gosson on the same day suggested all, all wasn't well. But I mean, the Richardson interview just was ounding. Anyway, so this is Friday afternoon. It's three yeah. o'clock. It's not like half past five. Go and have a look at all the papers and all the reactions. I found nothing. I went to the Racing Post site on uh, on Saturday. It wasn't wasn't even in the paper. I mean, normally a classic horse. With that kind of that kind of comments, they would have been all over that story. But it wasn't even in the paper on on, on Saturday. The news wasn't even followed up uh, on Sunday. The first time it was in the Racing Post was when it got officially pulled out in the paper itself on Monday morning. Now, how does that work? I mean, I mean, I was tweeting about it on Monday, on Friday. I tweeted again on Saturday. As soon as I tweeted again on Saturday morning, I had a private message from someone I don't really know, but I do know he's quite quite well connected. And he just says to me, it's increasingly unlikely he's even going to get to the race. Now, if I know that, the, the press know that, why aren't, why aren't the Racing Post, why aren't every single journalist on that story? Why aren't, I don't know, I didn't see the whole of ITV racing, obviously, or racing TV, because I was actually at, at track on, on Saturday. And nothing, this, this should be the major betting story. And it all plays into the narrative I, you know, I, I've been on the, on the last two or three weeks. Betting stories just aren't covered anymore. Can you imagine? Look, I know I don't want to bring them up anymore, but can you imagine McCruitt on Friday afternoon with a race still to go on ITV coverage on Friday would have been all over that story. Journalists would have been there. The PR representative would have been there on course. He could have dragged him in. What, what are you going to do? I actually spoke to, uh, actually saw, uh, spoke to Pat Cooney at 365 before the last uh, Sandown on on Saturday at great length about it. And, you know, we were chatting about this and we, we were just saying, 
and this is before the official news broke on Sunday, he was just saying, I just, we just can't believe it. You know, this is friendless. Everyone's backing everything, everything else each way. What's going, well, you know, why isn't this being picked up? It's, it's, it was absolutely unbelievable, that, that story. We're not talking about, you know, a, a rag and bone horse here. We're talking about a classic winner, uh, a, sorry, a classic favourite, very high profile, and absolutely nothing about yeah. about that that interview and, and all the all the rooms. So I said like, before I let Kevin. I mean, I, I said he said on Saturday morning. Sometimes you get drifts, but this drift had substance. It had substance because everyone saw the interview on Friday yeah. afternoon. Mm. And in fairness to Chapman, like we'll obviously give him plenty of stick most of the time, but he he did chase this and he did chase various interviews with various people. He did. I, th- I yeah. think in fairness to him, he. He, like most of us, would have suspected there might be something there. And in fairness, he gave everyone the chance to be be open about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I suppose Chris Richardson's uh, slight negatives were, were probably the only negativity he got out of anyone. But I suppose then you ask yourself the question, look, why, why are we being a bit cloak and dagger about this? You know, what's the gain? The Phillies either going to run or she's not. You know, like what's, what changed between Saturday and, and Sunday when they announced it? You know, maybe something did change. But they clearly had issues leading up to that point, and um, you know this day and age, you know, uh, 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 you know the Goslins are great communicators. You know, do we really need? To, you know, uh, I know there'll be a few of our uh, Nikki Henderson pajama wearing listeners that that'll be. I'm, I'm sure we'll be saying right now, if this was Nikki Henderson, you'd be crucifying them. Right. Okay. Know? So hang on. So the issue. So Tony's obviously Tony's uh, um, uh, problem. Obviously, is the betting side of things that this should have been picked up on on Friday when the world of its mother could listen to that interview and, and draw your own conclusions that there's a problem here. And then you match that with, I guess, the drift on Bedford, which Tony says is not a huge drift, but it was a significant drift given the, the information and the, the interviews at hand. But in terms of the information being fed and, and broadcast and publicised, Kevin, um, do you think that more needs to be done in these situations just to inform the public of what's going on? It's very difficult to, we, we've had this discussion before and the, the, my kind of line on it has been fairly consistent. Look, if you... You, you might think as a, as a punter and everything else that you want to know as much as possible. And of course, it's true to an extent. But if if every little niggle uh, and nurgle that a horse had was made public, no one would ever have a bet. Um, now, do you make exceptions to that for very high profile cases such as this, a favourite for a 1,000 guineas, um, you know, mass anti-post betting implications? There's definitely an argument to be made that a higher level of information should be flowing in that situation. Yeah, I mean, and one thing, we've got a question on this. I don't know if we want to pick it up now about the actual, yeah. why wasn't it picked up by any of the press? Now, I take your point about, I've heard that about Matt Chapman, about, you know, pecking out with Havlin and obviously the PA obviously looked at the, that interview and, and got some quotes from Fady, which are unfortunate probably to say the least. But, you know, why aren't any of the press picking up? And I do. If you ask any journalist what job racing journalists, what job they hate most, is when you get a drift on Betfair <laughs> in anti-post market on a high-profile horse, and it could well be someone dicking around. It could be a natural drift. It could be whatever. Anyway, so yeah. when a horse drifts, and we had it uh, over Christmas, didn't we? With a uh, 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 for example, uh, at Cheltenham, example, when we found out the drift, and we found out the reason for that drift because there was a stone bruise. Every single journalist will tell you what they hate most is ringing that trainer up and saying, "Excuse me, it's drifted on Betfair to you know to nine to one uh, from from two to one. Um, what's wrong with your horse?" And you know, and obviously, they you know he's not going to take very kindly to that, especially if you're the temp journalist ringing him. 
So I think what's happened here is nobody's even bothered picking up the phone because they hate the job so much and they probably don't want to annoy Goston or whoever. But, you know, the press, press association seems to have done their job and nobody else. I mean, it's a, it's a real tabloid story, this. Yeah. And, like I said, and they have plenty of time. And well, <coughs> sorry, what I would say to the Racing Post is it's a big Saturday. They probably already had their, their front page mocked out, Champions Day or whatever it was there. It was a, you know, it was a big celebratory piece. But come on, you know, you could have had a taster on Saturday about that because, you know, it's not that Chris Richardson gave some information there that you should have been pouncing on. Said, you know, after one bit of work, she wasn't 100%. We wanted to get a race horse gallop into work. We couldn't. You see, this is a classic favourite 10 days before yeah. the race. It's a yeah. huge betting story. We've had two questions on it. Uh, Stubbsy, our racing journals generally reluctant to think like punters and phone and press trainers and how horses are doing or their running plans. Example, the Inspiro fiasco. Very little news on her even before this week. Is a deference fear of getting shut off, etc. And Chris Poole, should questions be asked as to why it took connections 24 hours to announce Inspiro and non-runner when plenty seem to know and would Betfair provide the data of the PHA of who was laying double-figure prices on the machine? Yeah. Um, so that's just two. Yeah, well, obviously, we answered the first one. I think it is, there is a bit, you know, I don't want to really annoy a big trainer at the start of the year by asking him about that. I don't know. Obviously, Fraley gave the quotes to the PO, so I don't know whether John was available or whatever. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah. But what I do know about the drift is, I mean, like I said, the, the, the best, the biggest drift was immediately after that Richardson interview. And yeah, I mean, if, if, the, if the BHA want to look into it, then it's a two-way street. Betfair give the information. That's what their memorandum of understanding is all about. But, you know, obviously Chris is from uh, a fixed odds background. Uh, you know, even from my conversations I've already spoke about at Sandown with, you know, other bookmakers and whatever. You know, you know are, are, the, um, are the fixed odds bookmakers going to give the information about them, all the punters were there? What they're going to be back in each way against the unlikely favourite on Friday and Saturday? No. So, yeah, of course, if there was any uh, any concerns, it gets worked out for the usual processes from the BHA and Betfair. But like I said, anybody from Friday afternoon onwards knew mm. they didn't yeah. want to be with that horse. Um, Kevin Blake, how many of the average age 64-year-old men uh, beating the crap out of each other on Sandown there in that footage were wearing white trainers, do you reckon, <sighs> on Saturday? How many of them were wearing white trainers? Yeah, if you, if you haven't seen this, and not everyone would have seen it, I only saw it myself yesterday evening. Um, there was a bit of a, a bit of a kerfuffle, we'll call it. Well, it was a good old-fashioned fist fight at Sandown um, the other day, uh, which came after what ended up being a well-publicised incident where a couple of, um, I, I don't know if they were young ladies or older ladies, but they were wearing a smart white trainers. It doesn't trainers matter their age. Yeah, of course not, yeah. They were... They were um, they refused entry into the Premier Enclosure, I think is right. I'm right in saying, TC, for wearing white trainers. Which yeah. uh, didn't didn't coincide with the dress code, and uh, this is uh, this is this that prompted much comment and uh, yeah. over the, the the appropriateness of of dress codes in certain situations, etc. But the yeah, I just uh, look, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan of fist fights, you in the main, and uh, I would I have never condoned doing it in a public place, but it was quite remarkable to see the the average age of the lads stuck in there because you know the way trouble on race courses is characterised. Um, when it comes to UK race courses, certainly is it it's young, you know, uh, coke fueled football yops that are rolling in on Saturdays and have having having you know ten pints in a fight. Um, like it's unbelievable. They're all fifty plus to my eye. 
That's incredible. I wear, I wear trainers 95% of the time, right? I just do, generally, because I don't like wearing shoes. I don't wear suits much unless I absolutely have to. I mean, my dress sense is absolutely shambolic anyway, but like, I just don't, I just don't like wearing shoes uh, really much. But the idea that, like, you know, the idea that because you're wearing trainers suggests you're not suitable to go into the reserve girl is the absolute Stone Age bullshit. Yeah. I've only heard one person, um, we won't go into that. I've only heard one person try to defend you. Um, and obviously he's the biggest tool going, but the, um, <laughs> like, uh, two seconds after I said, I'm not going to go into it. I really, <laughs> um, but the, uh, but we're not naming him. Um, but the, <laughs> whatever. Um, but the thing about it is I was obviously with Keely and a few groups of our friends on, on Saturday. Um, and after he came back and said, you never believe what's good, what's happened here. I've had to kind of like, Get in. I think they eventually did get in, and obviously Keeley put it on Twitter, and obviously got a big response from there. And after this, I just thought it was amazing. So when he, I, so I actually went out and had a look at the, all the awards ceremonies and stuff like that. And the amount of blokes were wearing white trainers, and some of them were wearing pretty dodgy black trainers as well. <laughs> it was amazing. I was just looking around, looking at people's shoes, and man, all the blokes, all the young blokes, basically were going around with obviously. Shoes with no socks and all basically tr- white trainers. And they weren't getting pulled up. And I saw some, some girls trying to get through to the Premier enclosure uh, wearing these trainers, and they weren't allowing them. I mean, it was absolute, but it was like pick and choose who, who went there. It, if people really moan, they let them through. But, so, but the issue is, I mean, I mean like you said, well, what is going on here? Train, I mean, is it, there's no dress code in Ireland, is there? There's no, no dress code, but I mean, like, okay, no defense, but the defense that I saw some defense saying, look, the dress code is written on the website, so people should know if you're going into reserve enclosure, you need to. Who, who reads the dress code on a horse racing website before going racing? Exactly. Basically, people get dressed up to go racing anyway because people like to look well and they get time to spend time and everyone to go out and you go and, like, you know, so generally, you know, what people wear to, to the race courses isn't an issue. And the idea that because someone's wearing trainers makes them unsuitable to go into it. It's just Stone Age rubbish. I mean, you wouldn't get it on a golf club these days. And golf clubs are the most pretentious places in the world. You just wouldn't get it. The thing, the thing that hasn't really been picked up on is, I mean, I'm a big fan of Kempton. I'm a big fan of Sandown, you know, my local tracks and Epsom as well. When you say about the Sandown Premier enclosure, it is anything but Premier. Trust me. There's a big hall there. It's kind of like, it's, you know, a wash with people, a wash with spilt drink everywhere. £6.80 for a pint of Guinness, actually, and you wouldn't have wiped your arse on it. You, uh, yeah, you, you put it up on our WhatsApp group. It looked absolutely horrendous. Plastic glass, and, you know, it was seven quid for a pint of lager. I mean, it was just ridiculous. The premier enclosure at Sandown in that, in that hall, that big major hall, is, you know, is, is not, nothing premier about that. So anybody says, oh, you should, should read the T's and C's and dress up to go in that area, Mm. And well, I tell you what, well, maybe, well, actually, maybe they were trying to help people wearing white trainers because I tell you what, if that Guinness that you showed me hit the ground, it'd be like tar and stick on everything, and your white trainers would be absolutely ruined. So maybe there's so many things they, they could do, right? And this is this is a, a classic because when I go there, I I can't have anything over two. If I have two pints of Guinness, I'm full up. I can't do. I have to go to wine or champagne, gin or whatever. So outside at Sandown, there's an outside terrace which is a basically a wine and champagne area. So we got there quite early at 12 o'clock. And one of the guys and one of the girls said, uh, uh, you know, it's quite, it's getting sunny. Let's, let's get a couple of tables out there so we can do that. So anyway, so we, we went there originally and 
They sat there and quite a few of the party were drinking pints. And they actually said to us, uh, oh, it's fine if you're drinking uh, wine or, 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 or uh, champagne or red wine or whatever, but you can't sit here if you are drinking pints of lager. <laughs> this is on the, everyone will know it's on the outside of the champagne uh, bar where it was a lovely spot you can paddock's right there the bar is quite accessible well, there are not many that many people going there so if i went in there and i bought three bottles of champagne and two of my mates would say no i can't do any of that shit i want a pint of guinness all day like I could, like we couldn't even sit together in a group of 10 or 12 <laughs> it was absolutely and i went and said it i said it a couple of times they said, no, no, we've been told we have to, have to strictly enforce this. You sit in this area, you can only drink wine and champagne uh, or, or water or whatever or coffee, but you can't okay. drink pints. I'll tell you, it brings me back to a funny story. I just looked it up there to make sure I remembered it correctly. Ten years ago, um, Ascot were, were changing their, their dress code for the Premier Enclosure. And while they were introducing it, they thought it would be a good idea. They sent a load of people around the Premier Enclosure, the first day they did it, and anyone who wasn't adhering to the, the dress code, they put a little orange sticker on them. Oh, I so, remember so, so that they wouldn't get a bollocking choice. I'm just, a thought just came to my head. Imagine if they went up to Tony Calvin or Hugh and there's six or seven pints deep and went to put an orange sticker on them. I'll tell you what, I'd knock them out cold. Knock them out cold. I, excuse right, excuse we, me. <laughs> yes, clear. I couldn't quite hear you. <laughs> um, Paul Nichols, congratulations on another, another trainer's title, a 13 trainer's title, right? Which um, in and of itself is, is, is a brilliant achievement, right? Um, I do want to mention, though, uh, we've had a question in on how the trainer's title is arrived at. And I think this is an interesting point. So Vaughan Lewis says, Nichols ended up bolting up in the trainer's championship despite no Cheltenham winners and no real superstars. 20th century, only blip in the last 20 years was 96 winners in COVID year and 28th season. 27th strike rate. Does anyone else have a chance? But Lima Silva says, why is the winner of the trainer's championship based on the highest total prize money earned across the season, but the winner of the jockey's championship based on the highest number of winners a la Mr. Brian Hughes? Congratulations to him as well. Why is the, why is the discrepancy there, Kevin? And, and could they make, could they bring them into line or what? You know, I thought about this a bit, and I know, look, fellas with beards will say, oh, they've always done it that way with the trainers, but you know, <laughs> they're, they're, they're constantly changing the way they do the jockeys' championship. But when you think about it, like in terms of what you're trying to judge by, by, give, by, by calling someone a champion trainer, um, the way they do it now obviously gives the advantage to people with the best horses, um, which in, in many, you know, the deliverance of raw material isn't a, an equal thing, whereas you know, by wins, would that be more reflective? Like, it could be a greater training fee. What do you think? For, I, I, I can see the point. I, I'd go with it. I, because I think it would be arguably a better achievement for mm. trainer, tra we better not say trainer X, for trainer Y to um, to win <laughs> four, four races with a horse rate at 70. Well, Paul Kimmage on to us again. Uh, for a horse rate at 70 to win four races than it is for, you know, um, um, John Gosling to win a group three with a, with a son of Frankel, you know? Uh, so I could see the point. It, it would certainly make it make it interesting, wouldn't it? I know we've had some wonderful races for the champion trainer by prize money, but I'm sure if you did it by winners, you'd get some, you'd get some super races too, perhaps. I, I, I haven't thought about it before, but it makes total sense, doesn't it? It, mm. it really does make total sense. I mean, who would have won it this year? Would it have been Donald McCain? Yeah. I, I'm not sure. Um, look. But... Um, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, there's two things as well. He also makes you lose to kind of like Brian Hughes as well. I mean, 
I haven't seen a lot of criticism, but there's people out there saying, oh, social media negative about Brian Hughes because he's only ridden one grade two winner this year and among his 200 odd winners. I mean, I, I didn't see a lot of criticism at all. They're just pointing out the fact is that he's yeah. never the big well, 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 so if you if you had if you had a situation where it was number of winners, right, you, you would have stopped. And I, and I get no disrespect to Willie Mullins here. You would have prevented a farcical situation where because Willie Mullins cleaned up at Cheltenham, and then if he come to Aintree and won the Grand National, he could potentially win the trainer's title from 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 trainers based in the UK who have been there week in week out clocking up winners after winners. And I just don't think that that's right. If Willie Mullins could come over basically because of a good Cheltenham and the amount of prize money they would won, come to Aintree, win the Grand National, say potentially, and then you know go and win a trainer's title from someone like to Donald. McCain or or Henderson or you know I just I just don't I don't think that's right. I'm, I'm looking at it here if you did if you did last season just season just gone by winners Don McCain one five five Nichols one four three Skelton one three five Fergal O'Brien one two eight and Nicky one twenty if you did it by winners I tell you you'd end up with a fairly with a with a fairly fun conclusion I you would wouldn't you I would say most people that that tallies with what if you ask most people to say who's had the best season who's had a real regenerative season a lot of people first off will say Donald McCain mm. and obviously the association with, with you it's it's quite a compelling argument isn't it yeah that, yeah it is it is and thanks to Liam uh, for that because yeah I, you we know, started the campaign really Mark Johnson will be champion flat every year I suspect literally yeah. Oh, that's yeah. a big downside. No, can that idea? <laughs> yeah, and look, um, look, what I mentioned. Oh, congratulations to Paul Nichols and obviously to Brian Hughes as well. And fantastic achievement. We we also want to wish um, Josh Moore all the very best. I know he's, you know, obviously going through a tough time in hospital at the moment. We, we're just everybody's thinking of him, and we hope that he absolutely makes a, a full uh, recovery. So look, we're everyone thinking of you, Josh, and uh, a family as well, and just. Uh, keep fighting the good fight in there and then hopefully be out the other side um, soon. Okay, I want to move on to um, some other questions that we've had this week, uh, please. So um, the Oxley Chase starts. So Trevor Stafford, why was the chase at Sandown on Saturday not a full start? It doesn't look good for racing. And why doesn't anybody call out poor rides? And Ryan Jackson, could you discuss the Oxley Chase start? It wasn't a complete farce. Or sorry, it was a complete farce. Earn River and Nutswell didn't even look ready to jump off. What happened here, TC? You were there. Um, well, I was, I was there, but obviously I've watched the video since. And um, obviously St. Calvados throwing very well back beforehand looked as though he was going to get an uncontested lease. But Mr. Fisher was probably within two lengths of him on the inner. And when the tapes went up, Mr. Fisher suddenly just went into reverse, literally. He, sh- he shied away from the tape going yeah. up, I'd say. Uh, yeah, but not only shied away, you get shy, but this horse really went on a backward spiral. Um, so yeah, that, that so that's that's what happened there. But it got in the way of the other two. Yeah, I mean, but... There on in, it was a very unsatisfactory race. I mean, Earn River, they tried to get into the race with that, but Brian Hughes on nuts well. You know, he, I think he said it was never travelling at any stage, but yeah, he never gave that he never gave that horse a, a good old rousting to try and get him into it. He, you know, he started fourth and he ended fourth, and he was he was just out with the washing. So I'd probably want a more vigorous ride on that in the early stages. And if he didn't, if he wasn't responding, give up. But yeah, as a start, it was unsatisfactory, but it was just unfortunate rather than any anybody's fault. It's just Mr. Fisher just ruined the start and gifted the lead to St. Calvados, and it was like, you know, easy way home from the start. Yep. I wonder now, right. just, just, just to talk a bit left field, because that's the sort of thing we do in this podcast, I wonder would we ever get to a stage where people start talking about starting jumps races from stalls? They say they can't do it because, well, number one, they don't want to do it because jump trainers would have to go through the whole stall cert thing and it'd be a bit of a pain in the arse and they'd have to teach them how to do it, etc. And from a practical point of view, they'll say, well, look, getting stalls on and off tracks when the ground is testing could be a problem. 
Um, but wouldn't it solve a lot of headaches if, if we actually went and did it? Um, like, it's just so much start-related mm. stuff the whole time, isn't there? And you've got, like, farces, like, the, the, I know the Grand National would obviously be an extreme example, but um, they do it in other jurisdictions. You know, I know you watch jump racing from... Um, from America, they definitely start from stalls. I think they do it. They do it in Australia as well. Mm. Um, now I'm sure if it gets shut down because again it would be massively inconvenient for for the participants. But um, it would solve an awful lot of annoyance and, and well, grief in terms of unfairness and false starts and what have you. Mm-hmm. Uneven starts. Starts are a big problem in this book because it's so inconsistent what what gets left and what goes there. And one of my bugbears is the fact that a lot of the time the betting tells you what's going to lead. Uh, I'd be interested to see if the BHA even look into this because, uh, you know, sometimes the weight of money just bears no relation to what's gone on beforehand. And it's normally in the last five or 10 minutes as yeah. it's with liquidity. And you're just saying, why is this horse being back to that degree? And then mm. suddenly clocks and say, well, actually, it's probably going to get an easy lead here, isn't it? By the sounds of it. Lo and behold, it goes out. It goes. There's a lot yeah. of trading going on. You don't need, if you know a horse is going to lead, you don't you okay. don't need to you know you don't need to it's gonna win if you can trade it. Last two questions then Paul Quinn says Harry Durham, Harry Fry, Ben Pauling, Dan Skelton, Christian Williams are the old guard of Nichols Henderson Hobbs. If you had a hundred and fifty thousand pound point to pointer, where would you send it? Where would you send it, Kev? Where would you send it? William Mullins. <laughs> Tony? I would send I would send it to a trainer as near to my house as possible so I couldn't see it as much. Oh, uh, I think that's and, uh, uh, now you get news of every trainer within a hundred mile radius of TC so, m- announcing plans to move. <laughs> We're going yeah. up north, lads. <laughs> yeah. And the last question: What do you is, mean you want it to run on its merits all the time? That's not how it is working. <laughs> oh, oh, Kev, don't be so naive, Kevin Blake. For God's sake! My final question <laughs> is from Jay Ross Bennett. It says, "How long until the Betfair podcast needs to feature adverts for female genital health <laughs> products?" As as one of your rivals did last weekend. Guess who? Listen, we are not about that on this show. We are not about selling ourselves to that. But wait in this week is bought in association with hair dye for over 50s, 50% off if you mentioned Vanessa Royal, toothpaste for dentures <laughs> and false teeth, toothpaste for dentures and false teeth, 50% off if you mentioned Tony Calvin, and selfie stick photography for vain people who can't stop looking at themselves in the mirror, 50% off if you mentioned Kevin Blake. Racing only better all this week. We're going to be covering uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday of the Punchdown Festival, then Friday, Saturday, plus the Guineas weekend as well. So it's racing only better. Check your podcast wherever you get them or subscribe from every single day this week to mark a card ahead of the final national hand uh, season in Punchdown and, of course, the start of the classics with the Guineas uh, this weekend. Have a great week. Talk to you soon. <laughs>